Okay, we're continuing in Joshua this morning, and if you'd like to go there, Joshua chapter 9 this morning, and we're only doing one chapter, it's not as much, which is good, we get to slow down, but you know, we do, we, we live life as Christians in this amazing place where we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and so we're in this total humility. I can't get to heaven. I've got to trust that Jesus Christ died for me. I, I, I have never seen him. I've never seen him on the cross. I read about it. I, I believe it. I trust in him. And it puts me in this place where I believe in something that is really radical. And there are things that draw me away from that, including some things that are good things. We're talking about one of them this morning, common sense. I like common sense. I don't know about you, but most of us, we just know common sense is just things that we all should know. It's, it's this piece you just know, hey, if it's raining, put on a raincoat. If your plants are out in your field and they're, drought, they're withering because they have no water, why don't you water them? Common sense. Get out and do the thing that needs to be done. The trouble with common sense is that it breeds something called self-reliance. That also is something that I like. I don't want to rely on anyone else. But you and I are in this particular place where we aren't self-reliant ever. Why not? Because of what I already told you. I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm total trust, total humility in what Jesus has done. So, so, so... The problem is I don't even think this way. I'll give you a silly example. It's when I'm driving down the highway and my gas light starts to blink on my car. I don't pull over to the side and pray about what to do. I don't let go of the wheel and say, Jesus, take the wheel. I drive to the gas station and fill up the pump because that's common sense. If you're flying, you need more gas, you go get the gas. But the problem is pretty soon I can forget about the giver of gasoline. I can start to be self-reliant and think that that's dependent on me and, and you don't need help to do stuff. You just get her done. Um, it bleeds, this, this is a physical example, but it breeds into your Christian life. If you're not growing, maybe you're not praying enough. You have the wrong methods for, 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 for growing your family or, or discipling your kids. Perhaps, perhaps your methodology is wrong. It's up to you how they do. And so what we're learning in Joshua, and it's an important, important lesson, is this idea that God goes before us if we're his people. That really it's about what he does and our trusting that, even as we do the tasks of daily living and we do all the things we should do. And I want you to, to see that and, and to see that the problem with common sense is when it becomes self-reliance and it cuts against trust. It undermines faith. And many of us live right, right there, not learning to trust because we think things are up to us. We think the problem is God's told us what to do and we're just not getting it done. And that may not be true. You should maybe instead think God goes before me and even in my failures and my successes, I know, I know he's got me. It's a different way of living. 
And I want to show it to you from the text this morning, this incredible story in Joshua. It's one of my favorite stories, and, and, and it's, it's a good one, and you may not have heard it. It's about the Gibeonites. That's what we get to talk about today. But we'll start with this, common sense in our senses. So Joshua chapter 9, let's look at it, verse 1, and what it teaches us about our God. It's amazing. Okay, here we go. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country in the lowland along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Okay, the scene goes up, and it's a new scene, but it's referring back to what has just happened, which is the people of Israel have decimated this place called Ai. We looked at it last week. God has gone before this nation of Israel. God has flattened Jericho. God has done amazing things already for them, bringing them into the land of promise. And I just want to see this. This sets the scene for you and I. As we begin to think about what the story is, we realize that what's happened is these six nations have all banded together against this this one nation. It'd be like all of a sudden Russia and China India, Brazil, all of Europe suddenly decide we're going to go get America. You know what we do? We'd be like in a place of total need for God to help us. And that's where the Israelites are. They're in a place of total need for God to go before them. They're not going to take any of this land on their own. God is going before them. They need him. They're in a place of trust, not unlike you and me. Because we can't even touch salvation the promised land on our own. But but that's the thing. These and, and we know, we know what the Israelites are thinking. God has said these nations need to go. We know the task. They are Genesis 6 and the, the terrible things, and we talked a bit about it last week, the, 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 the things there, and God is bringing his people in, and he's removing these disloyal and wrong things that have been going on in this land. So there they are, in the midst of this backdrop. We see this. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. It's going to be one word to describe it. And they went and they made ready provisions and they took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patch sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. Hope you heard the repetition of one word and they're worn out. So these guys go and they get dressed for a play, right? They put on all these things. As soon as you hear the inhabitants of Gibeon, you know what's going on. This is, these are the next folks over. And again, you're given something the Israelites don't know, where they're from. They went to Joshua, it says, in the camp at Gilgal. And they said to, to Joshua and to the men of Israel, hey, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? Okay. 
You understand, right, this story. So you have these guys, and they're afraid. And, and they think, well, what we're going to do is we're going to act like we're super old and, and, and from a far away place, and we're coming. And we say, hey, guys, we, uh, we'd love to make a treaty with you. And the Israelites appropriately say, wait a minute. How can we know that you're not from next door? They are from next door. By the way, note, note in the story, they're calling them Hivites. That means they're part of this, these nation groups that need to be removed. They're called in another place Amorites. They're, they're, they're part of this whole perverted thing that needs to stop. God's kicking them out. They want a covenant. They want a peace treaty. They said to Joshua, well, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? Where do you come from? They said to him in verse 9, from, from a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of Yahweh your God. For we have heard a report of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, to Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. By the way, that happened 40 years ago. Remember, there's the account is in Numbers. It talks about how the Lord helped Israel defeat these mighty kings connected to this whole region. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. We're like a peace treaty. So they paint this picture. They paint this picture of them coming from a long way away and outside the realm of the promised land. And we're just coming, and, and you know what? You've got a lot of people against you, and we just want peace. <laughs> it gets really interesting. Here's our bread, they say. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry, crumbly. These wineskins, they were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours, they were worn out from the very long journey. Well, pause there for a minute. We've got proof, they say. And they trot out their worn-out clothes and their moldy bread and their things that look like they've come from a long way. Look. So the men took some of their provisions. The, the idea is they, they're not they're stealing from them or they're taking some to eat it. Who wants to eat dry moldy bread? They took and looked at it. They accepted it as proof. They took it in. And then there's that statement that should give you pause. They did not ask counsel from Yahweh. What? Classic, right? Self-reliance, not asking God, not seeking counsel from God. I mean, God communicates with them. We, I, the last chapter, we saw him identify the very person that had sinned against him out of all the hundreds of thousands of Israelites. They just went right ahead. They trust themselves and they trust what they can see and they get deceived. And so this verse 14 is a big statement of their error, right? If you trust yourself and your eyes, you're going to get deceived sometime. Even if you're using common sense, even if you're using things that look okay, even though you say, yeah, nope, that's crumbly bread, and those are worn out clothes, and 
uh, yeah, you, you probably do come up from a long way away. Okay, if you're with me so far, this is just a, an easy story, and it's an easy thing to preach. Okay, ask God before big decisions. Make sure you check in. Make sure you, you, you communicate and realize we can jump the gun. And so, man, if you're with me, pray before you make any treaties. Next time you're going to sign a big real estate treaty or you're going to sign a big contract, make sure you pray. That's not wrong. It's good. Do it. There's tons more going on here. Let's go a little deeper. Let's, let's keep going. And, and so verse 15, it says, Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. There's a tension that's going to be in this text that you should feel. It's this. God said, kill these people. They didn't. They made peace with them. What's going to happen? What is God going to do about this? How, this is going to help us see how, how God thinks because this, this God is our God. What's, what's going to happen? And so I, I want you to see how, how the actions here also reveal some common sense pieces, mostly on our part. L look with me. So it says that at the end of three days, they'd made this covenant with them. They heard that they were their neighbors. <laughs> oh, no. Truth comes out, you know. And that they lived among them. And so the people of Israel set out and they reached their cities on the third day. And their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by Yahweh, God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Okay, walk, walk through this with me. I mean, I... Wouldn't you murmur too? Wouldn't you say that they're not doing this right? I mean, they're not using common sense. Common sense would be if somebody came in deception. Let's just take it down to a simple example for us. Someone came to you and said, you know what? You're selling your car. I see that you are. Will you sign a contract with me? I'll pay you $10,000 and you give me your car. And then they show up and they've got 1000 bucks. You know what I would say? That piece of paper is not worth the, what it's written on. If you're going to deceive me, if you do, a, if you do a, a treaty by deception, if you cross your fingers and lie while you do something, come on. That's not worth the oath, right? It's not worth it if you, if you think you entered into something by deception and you still have to keep your end of it. The other person flat out lied to you. They don't attack them. Why not? Because they'd sworn by Yahweh. This seems like nonsense to me. I, I'd probably grumble too, since when is an agreement that's based on deception anything? So we have this, this what I would put in my mind is as, as a person, if I was sitting in the common seat of Israel, this, this directive from God about God's plan, and I'm supposed to get there. What's getting there? Me getting rid of all these people. They're going to deceive and lie? Too bad on them. That, that, that's what I think. 
common sense says deception means no deal. And then, so you see these leaders holding on to this funny concept that they invoked God's name. Right? I mean, look. But all the leaders, verse 19, said to all the congregation, we've sworn to them by Yahweh, the God of Israel. And now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So, so, so this is what's happening. I think you need to see it. That in the first section, they rely on common sense, these Israelite leaders do, and it, it, and it, and it messes them up. In this second segment, now they're saying, Wait a minute. We're going to trust God. We swore in his name. We're going to put it in his court because he's God. And all the people around him said, are you crazy? And I say, are you crazy? Because I get caught up in this too. We get caught up in this. We've now brought God in, so we're more interested in saying true to the oath to God than in using our common sense about what, what he wants us to do, about, about the plan. It's more about the person than the plan. They, they get it right, and, and I'm tempted to say they're fools because I think it's more about them accomplishing God's plan than about God accomplishing it. This is an act of trust. I mean, if God wants these people dead, there's tons of ways he can do it, right? I, I can list a few. Plague. Disease. Lightning bolts. So they say, wait, we, we, our peace was we swore by the Lord. And, and it's, it's about the Lord. And we're going to be foolish to you. But, but I trust the Lord. The scene closes with this really interesting piece about our God. And, I, and I, I, this is where we need to go. In verse 22, Joshua summoned these Gibeonites. And he said to them, he said, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Okay, I'm sorry. Is that a rhetorical question? Because, because if you're with me at all, and you're following at all, you know, wait, wait, wait. They're deceiving you because you, they know that God is going to kill them. They think you're after them and you're going to come and destroy them, so of course they did something. Uh, yeah, we want to live. But Joshua keeps going. Now, now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they say back to Joshua, they say, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that Yahweh your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do it to us. 
we get to focus on these people for a minute, and you should. You should think about, wait a minute. They're acting on the certainty they're going to be destroyed. Their actions are based on this trust of something they've just heard. They, they couldn't stand before this God. We've got to do something. What's the only thing I know to do? Get a covenant with these guys. Right? So this is what Joshua did to them. He, he delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. They did not kill them. Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of Yahweh to this day, the place that he should choose. Okay, and this scene comes to an end. Interesting. These Gibeonites, here's your curse, right? Here's your curse, you guys. Here's your curse. Did you hear the curse? You shall cut wood and draw water for the altar of God. You're going to help in the tabernacle. Your life will be spent in the shadow of the presence of God. If you read that with any sort of heart, all of a sudden, I want to be a Gibeonite. I want to live my life in the shadow of the altar of God. I want to cut wood for God's use on the altar. Sign me up. What kind of curse is this? And, and so we see something happening, something happening without, this is the first chapter really in all of Joshua that we haven't seen, God himself making an appearance. God didn't show up and say, wait, you guys, what's happened? God's done it all though, hasn't he? Don't you see the hand of God at work? It's not just about common sense leading you astray. It's not just about trusting God over accomplishing for God. It's about God at work. Here's a people and they're saved. How are they saved? Through a covenant with Joshua, with Yeshua. They didn't deserve it. Their part of it was deception. They really brought nothing but their sin and their fear of certain destruction. And God, who, who used all of this imperfection in his people in there, and he uses it all to accomplish what? This tribe gets to be in Israel for, for forever. These Gibeonites, right? They've got the wrong DNA. They're on the wrong side of the war. They're doing the wrong actions in terms of deception and not telling the truth. They're wrong in everything except that they humble themselves and they get to be in the shadow of the presence of God. Is it too much for us to see the gospel? Is it too much for you and I to to see this, doesn't it foreshadow that Israel won't kick out all the tribes? There will be need for another solution. That solution will be a work of God alone. We will be served by certain death from a new covenant through Jesus Christ, our Joshua, and against all common sense and against all work of man and, and against every rational possibility, the cross stands. It stands not by our rational movement towards it, by our right actions around it. It stands by the plan of God. 
So this morning, we're not long, but this story is amazing. And here's what I want you to see. It's not about praying before every decision. Do that. It's so good that we are acting out what is already true, that we are dependent on God for everything. This is about God getting his plan done without us. Because if you look at it truly, right? The, the Israelites trust in themselves and they, they, they do something foolish. And they start this cascade of actions that end up with God giving this beautiful picture of the gospel. It shouldn't be. There should be some consequence. That's, there should be something that, 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 that ruins or mars that picture because the Israelites didn't, didn't trust God. And then when they actually stood on God, the whole congregation thought they were foolish. And at the end, God does something marvelous. And, and, and so we, we live in this box, you and I, where what we really need is to trust in God. This is what it means for God to go before us. Life will often be upside down. You and I will do the wrong thing and God will work it out. Those guys over there, these guys over there, they'll do the wrong thing and God will work it out. He's an awesome God. Our hope is that God, our God, the only God, He reaches into the darkness and He makes light. Your life is a wonder if you trust Him. Not because you and I deserve it or you and I make good choices or you and I use the right discipleship methods with our kids. The, or, or, or if we start to think that way, or the danger is we'll start to slip into we really don't need His hand. Or we think He only works a certain way. My way. That's a problem. Because he doesn't. He works his way. And we're under him. So I start, and my, my urge to you this morning is to start living this way, to trust him that this is the gospel. If I'm thinking this way, life is much more about my moment-to-moment -moment trust than accomplishing the right action. I, I get humility rather than self-reliance. And this is foundational. It's not window dressing it's it's really central you got to think about how it works and it will work so you take your marriage and your spouse acts foolishly and thoughtlessly for the hundredth time and common sense says common sense says there's no way they'll ever change yep i think so too time number 101 it's not going to be a change if 100 times it's always been the same thing and i forget something God's at work. You just never know. Because you have this God and He's at work and, 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 and there it is. And, and instead of the data sets and instead of the history and instead of the experience and instead of all of that, I, I come back to, you know what? My actual trust is in God. The gospel says this, trust that God is at work, not about them changing, really, even if you're looking at your spouse. It's about God who has saved and is saving and is working, maybe through you, maybe even through your fallenness. This is trusting totally against what the world says is wise, and it's not just in marriage, it's with all your relationships. Common sense says when someone hurts you, retreat. Make them pay. Trusting God says, He knows. 
God goes before you this morning. If you're His, how are you His? You're trusting the cross. You're trusting Jesus Christ. Not about justice, because you and I, in this scene, if we're anywhere, we're the Gibeonites. That's the picture of the gospel. Living under certain death, and now we've drawn near in the shadow of the Almighty. The deceptive one is me and you, and the faithful one is Joshua, and we've been spared, and so much more. Grace is real, and if you'll grab hold, it really impacts every breath you take. Common sense, you know. It's just that. It is common. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that we've discovered something that is absolutely uncommon. Which is the gospel. It's upside down. It's mysterious and deep. And I call you again to it this morning. That you would back up. That you'd worship. That you go away assured that no matter how your life's going this moment, God's going before you because he is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text this morning. Thank you for this piece of Joshua. Thank you that that you do go before us, that your ways are so much deeper. Thank you that you take the broken and you make something whole. That you take things that we don't even think rationally can go rightly and you, you bring healing and hope and health. Father, I pray for our relationships, for our days, for our actions, that you would help us not slip into self-reliance, that we might be those who depend always and every day on this great mercy we received in Jesus. We ask this in your name.